I'm John, and this is DOLW2, episode 15, The Right of Sodomy. And I'll be joined today by Mike, Teresa, and Carl. And Teresa will be reading first. Okay, let's get started. Auxiliary Bishop John G. Lanzi, one of Bernadine's earliest appointments after Bernadine took over the Archdiocese of Chicago. In 1987, Bernadine helped Valenzi secure the vacant Diocese of Winona, giving Valenzi automatic authority over the Immaculate Heart Seminary, a virtual hall of homosexuality. As noted in the previous chapter, Valenzi was one of two bishops who negotiated the Brahm Maras settlement over sexual corruption at the Winona Seminary. Ten years later, the homosexual scandals at the Immaculate Heart Seminary notwithstanding, Lanzi was promoted by Pope John Paul II to the gay-friendly Archdiocese of Portland, Oregon. Years after gay-friendliness, however, cost the Archdiocese of Portland dearly. It was drowning in clerical sexual abuse claims. Between 1950 and 2003, 37 of 1,150 priests in the archdiocese were accused of sexually abusing minors, mostly adolescent boys. To date, the Archdiocese of Portland has paid out $53 million for 130 settlements, with at least another 60 still pending. The archdiocese was scheduled to go to trial on July 6th, 2004 on two of these sex abuse cases carrying claims for 155 million but on that day bishop lindsay corporation sole for the archdiocese of portland filed for bankruptcy the first catholic diocese in the united states to do so bishop gerald frederick kickness was another auxiliary bishop from chicago made good kickness was ordered by Cardinal Bernadine shortly before Bernadine's death. When Kickness was rector of Mundelein Seminary at the University of St. Mary of the Lake operated by the Archdiocese of Chicago, homosexuality openly flourished. Kickness owned or owed his appointment to Cardinal Bernadine who, as Archbishop of Chicago, automatically served as the seminary's chancellor. On March 7, 2003, Kikinus, a conflict management specialist, was made the ordinary of the Diocese of Tucson. On September 20, 2004, Bishop Kikinus announced he was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, protection on behalf of yet another devastated vineyard of the Am Church. In all, Cardinal Bernadine took part in the ordination of 28 bishops during his years as Archbishop and Cardinal, a number that comes close to Cardinal Spellman's record of 33 appointments to the American Episcopacy. Bernadine, a great fruit of Vatican II, a, cardinal, a cardinal's hat waves away previous sins the millinery, the shroud of secrecy. After completing his five-year term as General Secretary of the NCCB slash USCC, Joseph Bernadine was appointed Archbishop of Cincinnati by Pope Paul 
the 6th, on November 21, 1972. Bernadine sent his friends, fathers Rausch and Sheehan, to Cincinnati to prepare for his installation. The ceremony took place a month later on December 19th at the Cathedral of St. Peter in Chains. The nearly 100 bishops and cardinals in attendance reflected <coughs> Bernadine's growing power and influence in the AM Church. The new archbishop used the occasion of his first Christmas sermon to condemn the expansion of the United States bombings in Vietnam. Archbishop Bernadine took up his official residency in Moeller Hall, a heavily Baroque edifice that was connected by a portico on Mount St. Mary Seminary of the West, the oldest division of the Athenaeum of Ohio. This arrangement provided the new archbishop with ready access and daily contact with faculty members and seminarians. Later, Bernadine moved into an apartment on the fifth floor of the chancery that also served as the rectory of St. Louis, St. Louis's church in downtown Cincinnati. Much of the 10 years, Bernadine served as Archbishop of Cincinnati, was spent in Washington, D.C. as the president of the NCCB. For all practical purposes, he was the new kingmaker with a much broader base of operation and control than Cardinal Spellman ever enjoyed as Archbishop of New York. The appointment of Archbishop Bernadine to the Archbishop of Chicago on July 10, 1982, Pope John Paul II confirmed his kingship over the AM Church. Bernadine and the Many Faces of AIDS. As Father Carl Modell, who worked closely with Archbishop Bernadine in Cincinnati, has observed, Archbishop Bernadine would do what Rome wanted and would never say no directly, but he would raise questions about interpretations and timing about the circumstances and prudence of implementing certain things, getting Rome to see things in a better light. That's exactly what he was so good at in Cincinnati, finding middle ground, reaching a solution that respected everyone's rights and was acceptable to all sides. On issues close to the heart of the homosexual collective, Bernadine could always be expected to do the right thing, as was the case with the many faces of AIDS. The controversial document was the work of administrative board of the NCCB, composed of 50 bishops. The board is responsible for carrying out the business of AM Church between the formal plenary sessions of the American hierarchy held every year in November and June. On November 14, 1987, the Administrative Board released the statement, The Many Faces of AIDS, a gospel response directed to sisters and brothers in the Lord and all people of goodwill. The president of the NCCB, USCC at that time, was Archbishop John L. May at St. Louis and the General Secretary, Bernadine's reliable ally. Reverend Robert N. Lynch. I think I'm going to stop here. Okay, John? Okay. Okay. Page 898 at the top. All right, I'm taking up the reading now. So, Colonel Bernadine, the ranking member of the administrative board and one of four bishops who drafted the statement, said he was particularly pleased with the document because it was both faithful to the Catholic doctrinal and moral tradition 
and sensitive to the human dimensions of the issue. Unlike most NCCB slash USCC official statements, many faces made front page headlines around the world immediately upon its release. This was due to the fact that the document contained a clause that approved of educational materials that promote condoms as a prophylactic for the prevention of HIV infection, a position in opposition to traditional Catholic moral teachings. The heterodox paragraph reads, 51, because we live in a pluralistic society, we acknowledge that some will not agree with our understanding of human sexuality. We recognize that public educational programs addressed to a wide audience will reflect the fact that some people will not act as they can and should, that they will not refrain from the type of sexual or drug abuse behavior which can transmit AIDS. In such situations, educational efforts, if grounded in the broader moral vision outlined above, could include accurate information about prophylactic devices or other practices proposed by some medical experts as potential means of preventing AIDS. We are not promoting the use of prophylactics, but merely providing information that is part of the factual picture. Such a factual presentation should indicate that abstinence outside of marriage and fidelity within marriage, as well as the avoidance of intravenous drug abuse, are the only morally correct and medically sure ways to prevent the spread of AIDS. So-called safe sex practices are at best only partially effective. They do not take into account either the real values that are at stake or the fundamental good of the human person. The second paragraph following the above reference attempted to defend the NCCB slash USCC Administrative Board's heterodox policy based on the teachings of St. Augustine de Ordine II, 412 and St. Thomas Aquinas' De Regimine Principum, Volume 4, 14, Summa Theologicae, 1 to 2, 96 to 1011, add to 2 to 2, 10, 11, relating to the principle of tolerance of the lesser evil. Six months later, too late to have any real effect on reversing the NCCB. Administrative Board's attempts, attempt at deforming Catholic consciences, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, Prefect of the Sacred Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith, intervened. He sent a letter dated May 29, 1988, to Archbishop Pio Laghi, the Apostolic Pronuncio, in which he stated that the publication of many faces has caused a good deal of confusion regarding the authentic Catholic position on the moral problems involved. After issuing a rebuke of the Administrative Board's action in releasing a controversial statement with universal application without first consulting the Holy See, Ratzinger declared as unacceptable the Board's attempt to base its heterodox opinion on the classic principle of tolerance of the lesser evil on the part of those who exercise responsibility for the temporal good of society. In fact, even when the issue has to do with educational programs promoted by the civil government, one would not be dealing simply with a form of passive toleration, but rather with a kind of behavior which would result in at least the facilitation of evil. The problem of educational programs 
in specifically Catholic schools and institutions requires particular attention. These facilities are called to provide their own contribution for the prevention of AIDS in full fidelity to the moral doctrine of the Church, without at the same time engaging in compromises which may even give the impression of trying to condone practices which are immoral, for example, technical instructions and the use of prophylactic devices. In a society which seems increasingly to downgrade the value of chastity, conjugal fidelity, and temperance, the Church's responsibility is to give that kind of witness which is proper to her, namely an unequivocal witness of effective and unreserved solidarity with those who are suffering, and at the same time a witness of defense of the dignity of human sexuality, which can only be realized within the context of moral law. It is likewise crucial to note, as the board statement does, that the only medically safe means of preventing AIDS are those very types of behavior which conform to God's law and to the truth about man which the Church has always taught and today is still called courageously to teach. The Ratzinger letter to Pio Laghi arrived at the American bishop's doorstep just prior to their semi-annual spring meeting on June 24 to 27, 1988, in Collegeville, Minnesota. After public opposition to many faces by a few American prelates, including Cardinals John O'Connor of New York and Bernard Law of Boston, NCCB President Archbishop John May had the document put on the June agenda for discussion and debate. Predictably, Bernardin was backed up in his support for many faces by Archbishops John Roach and Raymond Hunthausen. Archbishop May also stood by the document. The St. Louis Archbishop blamed the press for misinterpreting and sensationalizing many faces and, and suggested that it was too long and complicated to expect those unskilled in such matters to appreciate the issues involved. In the end, Cardinal Bernardin was able to pull victory from the jaws of defeat. He proposed that President May appoint an ad hoc committee to prepare a new updated statement on the AIDS crisis that would be reviewed by the Holy See and voted upon by all American bishops at a future plenary session. Gay-friendly Cardinal Mahoney was chosen to head the new four-member draft team. The new document called to compassion and responsibility, a response to the HIV-AIDS crisis, was approved and released by the NCCB on November 1989, following the bishop's annual meeting in Washington, D.C. It was basically a rehash of many faces without the reference to the licitness of condom education. As expected, the new statement received little <laughs> press coverage. Although space does not permit a thorough review of many faces and call to compassion, it should be noted that both documents are highly favorable to the homosexual collective. Both documents fastidiously avoid all punitive language related to the abominable vice of homosexuality. Also, the documents fail to note that in the United States and Western nations, sodomy is the primary mode of transmitting HIV infection in males. The important role that illicit drugs play in the homosexual death style was also ignored. Both documents promote practical public health education and persuasion, early diagnosis, testing, and treatment, 
and the alleviation of poverty and social inequalities as the first line of defense against AIDS, whereas proper moral formation and moral conduct in line with the natural law are never mentioned, and acceptance of the Church's perennial teachings on sexual morality offer the only real hope for the eradication of AIDS and the ultimate salvation of souls, which is, after all, the Church's primary mission. Like many faces, the document called to compassion commits the Church to the homosexual collective's political agenda. Under the subtitle, The Public Good and Confidentiality, Non-Discrimination and Individual Privacy, the document states, the appropriate goals of AIDS-related legislation to include helping to prevent the transmission of HIV, providing adequate medical care, and protecting civil rights, that is, non-discrimination in employment, schooling, entertainment, business opportunities, housing, and medical care, along with the protection of privacy, dioceses, and church-related institutions should also pursue these objectives in appropriate ways through their own policies and practices. Their hiring decisions, for example, should not be based on the fact that particular job applicants are HIV-infected, but on other factors such as qualifications, ability to do the work, and moral character. Addressing the issue of AIDS-infected candidates for the priesthood, called to compassion quotes canon law on the subject of the qualifications for holy orders. It then adds, the point is here point here is not to automatically exclude a candidate who is HIV positive, but rather to discern carefully this person's present health situation as well as future health prospects and thus to make an overall moral assessment of an individual's capacity to carry out ministerial responsibilities. Both Many Faces and Call to Compassion call for special AIDS ministries within each diocese, even though such ministries have systematically been over, been commandeered by the homosexual collective. They have served to undermine church teachings on sexual morality and have contributed to promotion of the myth of safe sex, thereby contributing to the spread of HIV infection among active homosexuals. An important caveat to the many faces called to compassion scandal that has largely escaped public attention is that the original statement was never withdrawn from circulation due to Bernardin's warning that the retraction of many faces would be a disaster. Nor did the Holy See force its withdrawal. Instead, the American bishops and the Vatican permitted both statements to remain in circulation, each carrying equal weight. Meanwhile, back in Chicago, the Archdiocesan Gay and Lesbian Outreach, AGLO, created by Bernadine as a replacement for Dignity Chicago, sang the praises of many faces and deep-sixed call to compassion. You want to talk, Mike? Yeah, All right. And uh, John, can I uh, comment at this time? Would that be all right on sure. what we yeah. have here? And uh, I would like to bring in another guest. We've, we're speaking uh, from the right of sodomy. We have Randy Engel here. And uh, 17 years of her life is devoted. So something underlying all this I hear from this is is there are cries of distress going on. Would mm -hmm. we all agree? Can you you know what I'm saying, Kyle? Cries yes. of distress. And is there authority for us to share those cries of distress without asking for permission? 
or without asking for discernment from the Holy Spirit or going to the clergy and say, is it all right if we share these cries of distress? So for that, I want to invite uh, you to a guest speaker. Antonio is a priest, Catholic priest from Italy. Antonio Rasmini, uh, and uh, he's known as Blessed, uh, Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, Amorites, uh, elevated him. I'm going to introduce you to one of his, he looked at this, and so we have a fundamental question that comes up frequently, and, uh, you know, sh should we, what is the support for sharing the cries of distress? Uh, Rosmini felt compelled to ask himself, do my plans spring more from my own subjective desire to do good than from a desire to do the will of God? So keep in mind, we ride for the Carmel brand, we start with the Trinity, what is the will of God? So here's a, a lecture that I say uh, uh, from Rasmini, and it's from the preface of one of his books. And I start off with a, uh, a uh, lecture one, A Troubled Mind, Christ Church, Eastertide, 1883. Now, these are the words of Rasmini from his preface. Here is the words of, uh, of this uh, holy man who was a Catholic priest. And this is what he formulated in 1883. Uh, and the context is corruption in the church. The wounds he calls the wounds of the church. I was staying in a country house near Padua when I began to write this book in order to relieve my own troubled mind and possibly also to com comfort others. He's talking about the five wounds of the Holy Church. That's his book. And I encourage you to Google that and get that. I was staying in a country house near Padua when I began to write this book in order to relieve my own troubled mind and possibly also to comfort others. Not without hesitation, however, for the question occurred to me, can it be fitting that a man without any jurisdiction should treat of the woes of the Holy Church? Is there not certain audacity even in dwelling upon still more in writing about them inasmuch as the care of souls of the Church of God belongs by right to her pastors? And may not some disrespect towards those pastors be implied and thus displaying her wounds as though her pastors discerned them not or at all events were unable to find a remedy? But to this I replied mentally that it cannot be wrong for a layman to ponder over the woes of the church if he be moved so to do solely by an earnest zeal for her welfare and for the glory of God. And on examining myself, I felt as sure as a man can feel of his own motives that this alone, that this alone was the source of all that I was thinking about. I also reflected that whatever these meditations are worth, there is no cause for concealing them. Well, if they are faulty, the pastors of the church will reject them. I write with no intention of deciding any question, but merely with the design of giving expression to my thoughts and submitting them to the pastors of the church, especially to the sovereign pontiff, whose revered utterances will always be for me the true and safe rule with which to compare and thereby to correct all my opinions. Now I go on, and uh, I don't know how much time we have uh, today, but I'm going to... 23 minutes so far. So I can go on. Uh, so, curing ills. So I'm going to read this and try not to break up with too many digressions. I'll come back if I'm, I have a chance. Uh... Moreover, it's curing ills. Moreover, I called to mind how in all ages of the church there have been found holy persons such as St. Jerome, 
St. Bernard, St. Catherine, and many more who, without wielding Episcopal authority, spoke and wrote with striking freedom and decisions of the evils besetting the church in their time, of the urgent necessity for curing them, and of the mode of effecting it. Not that I would liken myself to such great names for one moment, but felt that their example proved that the investigation I was led to make could not of itself be wrong, any more than uh, that was the fact of calling the attention of the heads of the church to those things which distract and harass the bride of Jesus Christ. Thus reassured and, and daring to entertain the thoughts which crowded on my mind concerning the present state of the church, <coughs> to commit them into writing and to mention them to others, there arose within me a further doubt as to the prudence and even as to the honesty of publishing such thoughts. I called to mind that all who, are in, who in our times have written on these subjects, proposing and professing to occupy via media between two extremes, instead of pleasing both powers, that the church and the state, have equally displeased both. This proved the great difficulty of treating such subjects as, so as to give general satisfaction. Hence I asked myself whether in writing my reflections I should not probably offend and clash with both these powers instead of gratifying them. But to this I replied that I acted conscientiously. No one ought to blame me even although I was mistaken. I was in no way seeking the favor of men nor any temporal advantage whatsoever. Thus, even supposing both parties found fault with me, I should find reward in the testimony of my conscience and in the expectation of that judgment from which there is no appeal. This is the attribution of the preface, The Five Wounds of the Holy Church, the writings of Blessed Antonio Rasmini. This is undoubtedly the most famous of Rasmini's books in which he notes defects and abuses in the church. But in a twofold spirit of suffering and hope, saddened by the inevitable shortcomings of churchmen, he believed and trusted with complete certainty in the infinite power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church. It caused him immense personal damage, but he felt that the renewal of the church was of such great urgency that he had to be prepared to suffer for, the, for it. Rosmini borrowed the image of the crucified church from Pope Innocent IV. So I leave that with you because uh, here in our outreach, in our diocese, this is a diocese of Lansing, Watch your podcast. This is a, a Watch Your Podcast 2 episode with John on John's channel. Uh, we do get challenged. We do get uh, pushback, and uh, we're not validated. I haven't been validated recently, but I have never been validated by a parish priest. Have you, John? No. Therese? No. Have, have, Carl, did you want to add anything? Carl says no either. Uh, no. no, I'm just... Observing. Observing. You pray. So when I say validated, if anything, we've been probably invalidated. I've been told uh, the priests, I've been told by those that, that tell me what the priest is saying, that I'm divisive, I'm mentally ill. Others have said I got a devil in me. I've got, Treese, uh, what are some of the things that have been told about me? Well, just like you said, divisive, mentally ill, um, causing trouble, um, those are the things. Not good for the parish. But not good, and not good for the parish. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but that's darling of the parish until somebody comes along that has a different view of where the parish should be at. Yes. Okay, and has an idea that some people should that are who are not uh, beautiful children should not be in the parish too. 
I come, yes. Heather comes to mind. Yes. The homeless come to mind. And uh, John, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, you keep understanding. Okay, you want that dollar, right? Huh? Is that what it is? No, no. You, you know, you should, you know, you yeah. belong in the hierarchy. Hey. So what we're saying is, Therese, how were you comforted by these words of this man who's on his way to sainthood? I felt, uh, I felt validated when I was reading this. Um, when, when I was reading this along with you, um, the. Um, <laughs> Um, when he talked about having, you know, the zeal and the earnest, the earnest zeal and the welfare um, for the glory of the church, he has that zeal. I do too. And and hearing um, his his distress, his suffering, his checking his conscience, um, all of those things that I know I went through, uh, wondering who am I to speak out about these kind of things. Um, you know, I'm just a simple little lay person in the church, and yet when I read this. I see that I see his experience, or I feel his experience of knowing that the church is so much better than what we're seeing. And when we see these out-and-out, blatant things happening um, with the homosexuality, with the the abuse of money, uh, it just he makes me feel validated in just the short words. I would have. John, did I? I'm keeping you on. No, no, no. Uh, hi, uh, Therese, I would have had you not shared some of those thoughts with me earlier this morning. I wouldn't have known that this was relevant. I, if you're out there, I don't know. Uh, let us know. We have people that are Patreon supporters. We have different folks that are out there on John's channels. Leave some comments. I, I, I didn't know that we had to revisit this because this is one of our exhibits and some of our grievances that we file. But what you're telling me, Therese, can you formalize what is the problem in a very clear and concise way in your mind that people are facing that you've faced that you, I came across today when you were talking? If we can, I don't want to put you on a spot, but right. what, so we got a very good solution for a very precise problem. Um, I think part of it is, is it has to do with uh, obedience and getting permission to um, to stand up for what we believe in and feeling like we have a right, knowing those rights, I think I'm trying to make it short, small and short, but the call of the laity is what, what I'm what I'm thinking of is is that we as laypersons need to know that we have a voice, that we can speak it. And okay, that's that's really it. Well, I didn't want, yeah. John, can no. I continue on? Oh, yeah. yeah, so that's why what we're called, we start with a voice. Start with a voice. We got the voice of our father in Genesis. And can I go into, I don't want to no, rob thunder or anything. Anything. Well, it no. might cost you a little more, John. Mm -hmm. huh? Well, then limit it by all means. Let me start off with <laughs> that, uh, what we were talking about, Therese, about uh, the power of... Uh, the voice, because what you're going to get when you start doing this, you're going to get people who are going to say to you that uh, you need to see me about consulting if it's what you're saying is from the Holy Spirit. Yes. Now, I never gotten that when I've called 911 at the local place and say, my neighbor's house is on fire or we need a police because there's a crash. They don't say you know, well, you need to consult me whether or not the Holy Spirit wants to make that call. Right. Some of this is common sense. I just want to let you know that some of this is common sense. But let me leave you with a premise 
on uh, about what we're talking about in terms of Christianity, and uh, it and I'm uh, there, there's different there's different ways to do this, but Christianity has is is offers the world a proposition, okay. And I'm, I've got this. I'm going to be referring to Jordan Peterson. Can I bring that up? Yes. So if you don't understand the maps of knowledge, and much has been taken off our maps because Ross Meany talks about mediocre people. You have weak and mediocre individuals that ordained, they become mediocre, weak and mediocre clergy. They're me weak and mediocre Christians, and you ordain them. And exactly the 1961 protocol that... Uh, our friend there, uh, Randy Engel, talked about, it said, Rome said, don't ordain mediocre men. Right. I would encourage you all to Google today, Mediocrity and John Paul II, Mediocrity and B16, Benedict XVI, Mediocrity and Pope Francis. Mediocrity is to be rejected. Quality is to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So what was the compromise for mediocrity? I'll tell you right now, a quality person is not good. They're going to know how to share the cries of distress, and they're not going to be easily controlled. Now, let's talk about this. So here, here's what you're, for those of you who are wondering what the big, you know, what is it about Christianity? Well, there is a spirit of good in the world, we believe. I'm trying to come at this from the point of view outside the church, mm -hmm. from the standpoint of someone who's looking at Christianity and wondering, and it's our Christian Judeo culture of life. We believe there's a spirit of good in the world. That's natural law. You've all experienced that. You go into a forest and you see a good tree and you can see a, 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 a sick tree, one that is infested with bugs. So one has perfections that the other one doesn't have. So there's a spirit of good in the world. Here's what the proposition, this is very powerful. The spirit of good uh, does act in the world on the potentiality of the world to generate the actuality of the world. Okay, the Judeo-Christian proposition is that if you confront the potentiality of the world with good, with good in mind, using truth, truthful communication, then the order that you extract is good. And, and that is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And we'll go into the arguments for you. Now, you have to listen to this a couple times. This is echoed in Genesis, Genesis when God is using the word, he creates cosmos out of potentiality. He uses his word, and every time he does that, he says it's good. The word of truth. His word is truth. Yes. By definition. So we have a great proposition from our Judeo-Christian heritage. If you encounter potentiality with truth, the cosmos you create is actually good. The result is good. So when you see, and that's Jordan Peterson summarizing, he's got it from other people, but I like the way he puts it. Yes. So when you see the priest, and we've got the report on the crisis in the Catholic Church in the United States, you'll see about how the problems are that many of the clergy are more interested in the image than the truth. Let me continue. Yes. So you'll see this constant. A first argument to your bishop is, Bishop, there is a spirit of good in the world. And you go right through what I just said. The spirit of good does uh, act in the world. Go right through what we talked about. And, and you use Jordan Peterson as your first argument of why you should be sharing these cries. This is truth. That's first argument is Jordan Peterson. That would be the argument to the priest that talked to you. The second argument to my bishop, the Holy Spirit communicates to us, writes for us in the Hebrew scriptures. Carl, can you hear me down there? 
in the Hebrew Scriptures, the truth of leadership. Eli, Phineas, and Hophni. The truth of the leadership is they lost God, the Ark of the Covenant. They did, they lost the law. What do you see today? Well, I've had people, staff, Raphael, you know, that's too legalistic. They lose the law. They lose the manna from heaven. You talk about the people they turn away. The manna is what fed them. They're not being fed. And the law, the law of Moses, the, the rod, their faith. Many of these weak men, mediocre leaders, don't have vibrant faith. They do not believe in the faith that God can get through this. So what do they do? They hide the truth. If you're a voice for truth, they got to get rid of you because you don't fit into that utopia. So the second argument I would say to my bishop, remember, bishop, the leadership, God was lost at the top. Okay, mm -hmm. now let's talk about the next. God was lost at the top because Eli, Phineas, and Hopni, remember that, read that scripture, mm -hmm. and you can't blame it on the people, and you try to hide that truth. And Eli and Phineas probably were great speakers, and they could motivate people. The poles were with them because they all helped carry that Ark of the Covenant into battle with the Babylonians, with the bad people, and they lost God. They were going contrary to the will of God, and they lost God for the people. When you lose your faith at the top, mediocre men, weak Christians, become ordained. They become weak and mediocre clergy. They cannot handle the truth. Phineas and Hopney had an excess appetite for pleasure. They were also taking the best portions to themselves. They were not servant-oriented, and they liked the sex. They liked pleasure. Watch that in our leaders. And what is she saying? What did John just say? These are men who are leaders who like lots of sex, yeah. lots of pleasure. Yes. And where's it got them at? Yes. Okay. Right. The money pits closed, Bishop. Let me go on. Shall we have a, you want a commercial or can I bring the, we got a commercial here, but let's get into the great St. John Paul II tells us in our own lifetime, Carol, 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 these are his words. Be not afraid of the truth about ourselves. I state, this is John Paul II, the great saint. I state right from the outset, be not afraid. This is the same exhortation that resounded at the beginning of my ministry in the Sea of St. Peter. Christ addressed this invitation many times to those he met. The angel said to Mary, be not afraid, CF Luke 1.30. The same was said to Joseph, be not afraid, CF Matt, Matthew 1.20. Christ said the same to the apostles, to Peter in various circumstances. And especially after his resurrection, he kept telling them, be not afraid. He sensed, in fact, that they were afraid. They were not sure if they were, if that, who they saw was the same Christ they had known. They were afraid that he was arrested when, when he was arrested. Were even more afraid after his resurrection. These are not words said into a void. They are profoundly rooted in the gospel. They are simply the words of Christ himself. Amen. Of what should I be afraid of? We should not fear the truth about ourselves. Let me repeat that. What should we be afraid of? What should we, uh, of what should we be afraid of? We should not fear the truth about ourselves. One day Peter became aware of this and with particular energy said to Jesus, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the Luke 5.8. Now this is crossing the threshold of hope. Page 4 to 5, the words of the great saint. Keep that in mind so when they, they don't want to hear this. Weak men, mediocre men who can't handle the truth, get ordained, they're going to say to you, Therese, 
Don't share the cries of distress. Think of the image. You're a troublemaker. Think of Mike. Stay away from him. Troublemaker. Well, you can have that opinion. You're going to get that. Think of uh, all the problems we had in Michigan because these men cannot stand up and face the truth. You know what I'm saying, Carl? Yeah, I'd like to say something, too. Well, we'll get that down there to yeah. you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, we don't have Lord. any money to pay you, Carl. Okay. Uh, I, I, I hear your cries of distress, and I see it in the church, you know, and I'm troubled by it, and I raised a, a daughter... I raised a daughter who was a, a good uh, Catholic girl, and she raised her, her son and daughter in the church, and her, her husband become Catholic. And anyway, she left the church just recently because of all the trouble in the church. And I thought we did a good job with her, but the church ain't doing a good job helping me. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. That's a good. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and and I I just want to add to that, Carol, is that where are the checks and balances? Who's watching our leadership? Should yeah. we Should we watch our leadership? Yeah. Should we stand up as as lay people? You know, why does God touch our hearts and our conscience? Why do we know there's something wrong and it's not being taken care of? And when we hear a story like your daughter yeah. leaving the church, she, you know, she's not rooted in. I mean. She's seeing things that are just so contrary to what the faith is. And, and it is bad. And she doesn't feel she can say anything. Yeah, it isn't as bad, and nothing's, and no, nobody's doing it. It is bad, what, what's going on. Nobody's doing anything about it. Right. And, and that troubles me. Yes. Because I, we, my wife and I did a good job bringing them up, and, and I'm not getting any help from the church. Yes. I was I was just thinking of the seminarian um, Father Cohen, in the Gaylord Diocese, um, what his family must have went through, when they seen that their son, who they raised all the way, sent him to the best school because he wanted to become a priest, and then the first time he sees something evil going on and he reports it, he gets removed from his job. What does that say? So I can understand your frustration. Yeah. That's my frustration. Oh, yeah. And that's why I think the lay people, all of us in the church, need to start saying, hey, bishops, hey, guys, there is something really wrong here, and you're not taking care of it. Right, right. Yeah. I agree. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. Okay, I wanted to say is uh, about Carnal's uh, daughter leaving the church, as I also saw this documentary on YouTube, called uh, Deliver Us From Evil. And this man's uh, family had been, you know, troubled by the priest molesting his children. And he trusted this priest. And he said, you know, I'm through with the church. I don't believe in God anymore. It's all just a money-making racket. And because of that, you know, and so. Thank you. And, uh, John, you're doing a great job, by the way, as our moderator today. He's yes. working on behind the scenes. So if you do this, and that's what we want. We, we're a hatchling effort. He's working with Carl to get the, the uh, and working, encouraging with, uh, you can't see this, Teresa to keep the, the, the mic up there. And uh, who gets the mic? That's good job. 
And uh, I think mm-hmm. he's going. I think, folks, that he should be going into another pay rate. Get twice what you're getting paid now, John. Yeah, what's he twice is nothing. He gets what, a ride home, right? I get a ride home as my yeah. pay. Yeah. If yeah. you behave, all right. But <laughs> you're still in the will to. Yeah, and I'll tell you what I really think yeah. when yeah. I get closer to home. Yeah, he gets, he gets in the will and out of the will. Carl, you want to talk on that? Carl's got something to say about that one. Tell us what you, what his words of wisdom are. Yeah. Uh, uh, John John uh, said said it right. He said he'll tell you everything when he gets closer to home. <laughs> <laughs> he'll tell the truth. Big buddy, he's a little scared to say it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these are these are difficult topics, and uh, we put a little. Uh, we you know we you, you can't necessarily don't be dwelling on it. the Holy Spirit's there. And I understand some people could be going through the purgation and you can't think about them. This is not the end times. This is a wonderful beginning of the third century of Jesus Christ. And that when we elevate Joseph and Mary, you don't deprecate, you don't diminish Jesus at all, for God's sakes. No, but there there is a Holy Spirit. There is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus wants to work through your hands, when he wants to speak through your voice, use your voice, if you suppress, you're suppressing Jesus. There are wounds in the church that the lay people are aptly able to heal and help. It's not about the laity, the clergy. It's about Jesus Christ, one priest. We participate in that priesthood, and we're not. There's a, there are a variety of gifts, but you can't suppress Jesus. And you remember, they're the wounds of Christ. You may not see the wound that somebody else sees, and you've got to let him heal it. Don't be embarrassed about it. You got, we got both. Uh, we got a a guy that's outside the Catholic Church, Jordan Peterson. We got the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew Scriptures telling us about about uh, Eli, Phineas, and Hotney about the loss of God for the uh, tragic, catastrophic effect that the leadership, bad leadership had, evil leadership, wicked leadership had on the people. The Holy Spirit's determined. They're not going. We weren't consulted whether or not to hide that scandal that came right out. Then you got, you got the great Saint John Paul II saying, "Don't be afraid about the truth about ourselves." And then we have this new. We're going to run out of time here, but did you want to? We got the report on the crisis of the Catholic Church, and uh, I take you to that. The USCCB that is. I've never heard this before, but uh, yeah. Let me get into the last page here and go over it. It says, one of the traditional roles of religious orders, he added, is to correct the bishop. I've never heard that. I've never heard my parish priest say, you know, I've corrected my bishop. I've never had them bring in a religious order priest say, I, my role is to correct the bishop and to call for greater accountability on his part. The orders, however, did not fulfill their traditional role in relation to the secular clergy in the context of the current crisis. To the contrary, they themselves were plagued by many of the same problems and exacerbated the situation. Can, can you believe that? Let's go back and start off with, this is the, uh, I gave, did I do a proper quote there? Uh, it's the report on the crisis in the Catholic Church in the United States, the National Review Board for the Protection of Children young people, and Francis, our Pope Francis, has taken into those who are diminished in capacity, the elderly and the mentally ill. Yes. So I'm going to take you to page 124, which is a preamble of what I just said. <clears throat> in establishing better 
communication and clear lines of authority in this area. The review board believes it is important to respect the historical independence of the orders. Now, this was adopted by your, your bishop's council. And so your bishop, if he's going to opt out of it, just say, Bishop, are you ignoring the, the USCCB report? Are you ignoring, priest, the report that the Catholic Church and all the bishops have adopted? Tell me if you are. So again, this is what this is the words of your bishops, your collective bishops, the governing body. The board believes it is important to respect the historical independence of the orders. Now that's the board. They're lay people, but it was adopted by the bishops, by your bishop's boss. I believe it is important it is important to respect the historical independence of the orders. As one bishop noted, historically the orders have given rise, has, have risen up as reform movements when the bishop and the local church have become somewhat lax. The or and that's exactly our sister Randy Engels talking about. The order thus the orders thus can represent a useful check on the exercise of authority by the bishops. A check on the exercise of authority. I read in there abuse of authority. Let me continue. One traditional role the religious orders he added is to correct the bishops. Have you ever thought of asking your deacon when's the last time he's corrected any bishop? Your priest when he's corrected any bishop? Or your bishop when he's corrected any other bishops? And that's like a cancer. Because they are getting back to Eli. Eli the indifferent. Phineas and Hopney are running wild. And when that happens, guys, you lose God. That's the message of the Holy Spirit. Are you going to dissent from that? How can you come to me and, and approach me without ignoring that when you tell me that you don't want me sharing the cries of distress? We'll, we'll fine-tune that. Is this, am I making sense, John? Yeah. Yes. yeah I'm making Could you say that a little louder? I don't think people in Seattle heard that. Yes! <laughs> and then You are making sense. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Blow the speakers out of Yeah, you will. Anything else? That's it for me. That's it for me, John. Does Carl want to say more? Carl wants to say yeah. something. Praise the Lord, Carl. Uh, we don't have any money, Carl. We don't have any funding. Oh, it was very good, very good. I enjoyed it, uh, and I'm and I like you, you to pray for my daughter and her family. We will. This will go out around the world. They'll pray for you. Yes, yes. Uh, because I'm. What's just her first name? I'm just troubled. her. Just yes. her first name. Just uh, her first name. Not uh, her last. Carrie. We'll, Carrie. Carrie. We'll pay for Carrie. Okay. In fact, in our concluding prayer, do you want to lead us in concluding prayer? Yeah. And we'll pray for Carrie and anything yeah. else, but yeah. you'll lead us in concluding prayer. Can we conclude now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just ask you to, to protect my my daughter and all of my children, all of my family, my wife, and all the people here, and all the people around that are hearing this, because we're, I, I'm sure that everybody's just as troubled as I am, and we need a solution. We don't need uh, to say, forget it. We need a solution. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen to that. Thank amen. you, Carol. Amen. In the name of the Father, Thank Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. In the name amen. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit, amen. Amen.